Good morning, everyone. Uh, for the, anybody that doesn't know me, I'm Aaron. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, pastor John is on vacation. Well, he's in Pittsburgh. If you want to call that a vacation, that's, that's fine. Home of garbage sports teams. and uh, No, thank you. Uh, we're in John chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we're going to jump right into it after just a little bit of background here. So in John 9, Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival. The festival happened back in John chapter 7. By this point in John's gospel, everybody's heard about his miracles, uh, that whole water into wine thing, that he heals the sick, that he fed 5,000 people with the first century equivalent of a Lunchable. All right, guys, when Pastor John's not here, somebody's got to make bad jokes. It's going to have to be me. But he healed a paralyzed man. He, he was preaching the word of God everywhere he went, uh, teaching about the kingdom of God everywhere he went. And back in John 2, he did this thing where he was in Jerusalem for a different festival. He started flipping over tables and cracking a whip at religious leaders. Um, in the passage before this, at the end of John 8, people tried to stone him to death because he claimed to be God Almighty. And my point in saying all of that is the religious leaders are, are familiar with Jesus at this point, to say the very least. Uh, they didn't like him because Jesus kept calling out their hypocrisy and uh, telling them they were missing the whole point of following God and, and for reasons that we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, despite all of the miracles and powerful biblical teaching, the religious leaders of Jesus' day still missed that this Jesus guy was and is their Messiah. So let's talk about why. Here we go. John chapter 9, starting with verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We need to understand right off the bat that in Bible times and in most of human history for that matter, it was a common belief that if suffering or tragedy or really anything bad happened to you in your life, it was because you had some kind of horrible sin in your life. You had, you had displeased whatever God or gods your nation worshipped. But look what Jesus says to straighten them out, starting in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Long as it is day, we must do the, the works of him who sent me, Night is coming when no one can work, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But Jesus says that neither this blind man nor his parents' sin caused this to happen, but this happened because God, in his mighty wisdom, planned to use this man's affliction to bring glory to himself. Now, as followers of Christ today, we need to hear what the Lord Jesus is saying here about in this verse about our troubles and our problems and our sickness. Yes, sometimes God does send trouble and sickness into the life of a believer uh, to discipline them, uh, to get them back on track. Uh, but we, and we should always check out that possibility first. But more often than not, uh, what seems to be true, is at least scripturally, especially in this passage, is that God puts trouble in our lives because he has a plan to redeem it, turn it into glory for himself. And you might not be able to see yet, you might not ever see ever, how God is gonna redeem your sorrow or how he's gonna redeem your suffering. We don't have to be able to see it. Isaiah 55, eight, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God says he doesn't need you to understand it, he's got it under control. 
So I urge you with your troubles, with your problems, with your struggles to stick with God and trust him. He will keep his word to you. Amen. Verse six, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went, the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, before we gloss over this, let's remind ourselves, Jesus just healed a man that's been uh, blind since birth. Nobody's ever done that before. Nobody's ever done it since, but we serve a mighty savior. Praise the Lord. Amen. Keep down to verse 13. Uh, not everyone is as thrilled about this as they should have been. This is where we want to focus this morning. They brought to the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees are the rabbis, the religious leaders, uh, the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. And that was a pretty frequent criticism of Jesus. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath all the time. And according to Jewish leaders, uh, working on the Sabbath is a big no-no. Uh, but Jesus explains in a different passage that because God Almighty, his father, works on the Sabbath, and we know that because the universe doesn't end on Sundays, unless you're a Steelers fan. That's next week, though, right? By the way, it's good to have football back. I know it's just college for now, but I'm so happy. Anyway, that's, that's not the point. Um, the point is that if God's working on the Sundays, and we know that because the universe doesn't implode, then Jesus' work continues on Sunday too. So he's exempting himself from not God's law, but the religious rules that the religious leaders had made. But others asked, how can such a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. And I love this because here's an ordinary everyday man standing before some of the most theologically elite people in the history of the world. They know scripture inside out, forwards and backwards, upside down and sideways. They've, they've got pretty much the whole Old Testament memorized. They know what God's word says. But this formerly blind man isn't a Bible scholar. He's not a professionally trained rabbi, but he has more spiritual insight than all of them put together. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. And I love that because it's kind of like he gets called to the principal's office, but he, he's a grown man and ugh, weird. Um, I say that as somebody who spent a lot of time growing up in the principal's office. I wasn't a bad kid. I was just easily distracted and thought I was funnier than I am. And, uh, verse 22. His parents uh, said that because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, means they would essentially be excluded from Jewish culture. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't just be like me kicking you out of the church, which we're not gonna try that today, don't worry. But it, 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 getting kicked out of the temple is, is basically getting kicked out of Jewish culture. Uh, your family would have to disown you. It, 
was, it wasn't a good thing. Which makes what happens next even cooler. Uh, scripture says, verse 23, that was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind uh, and they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Look at verse 25 again, because it's, it's awesome. This man who was born blind says, look, I don't know if this Jesus guy is a sinner or not. What I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. And because you guys didn't do that for me, I'm gonna stick with Jesus. Amen. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you wanna hear it again? Do you wanna become his disciples too? Anybody else catch that? That's, that's a little sassy. I like this guy. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What a great way to do church, right? But right after this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and they, he found him and asked him if he believes in the Son of Man, meaning Jesus. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus at that point. And it's, it's an awesome story. But you say, that's great. What difference does any of this make to me? And I hope this passage amazes us because the Lord Jesus has the power to heal the blind. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I hope it's a reminder that you serve a mighty Savior. Uh, but more than that, uh, what really stands out to me is the reaction of this man that Jesus heals. He immediately becomes a bold, outspoken witness to who Jesus is, and he's willing to give up anything and everything to follow Jesus. We all see that, right? We see that right away when he's telling the Pharisees what happened to him. This is a little bit of uh, implied conjecture on my part, but I don't think it stopped with the Pharisees. Uh, you see, it occurs to me that ancient Jerusalem was not handicap accessible. There's no guide dogs, there's no signs in braille, there's no Americans with Disabilities Act, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, that means that from the time this man was born until the time he met Jesus, everything he did was dependent on someone else helping him do it. If he wanted to get somewhere, someone else had to help him. And everyone around him probably saw him be getting helped and had pity on him. Uh, we skipped over this verse, but verse 8 says right after he was healed, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? That's because being a beggar was pretty much the only career you could have if you were handicapped like this. And here's my point. Everyone who had ever seen this man before, everyone who had ever walked by him on the street, everyone who had ever had pity on him, Everyone who had ever helped him get from place to place, everyone that knew he was blind would see him healed and immediately have one question, how? And he's gonna have to explain over and over and over again that he was blind and now he sees. He's giving his testimony over and over and over again, telling people who Jesus is all the time. And again, a lot of that's conjecture on my part because the Bible doesn't specifically say that. 
But think of it this way, who here has ever broken a bone or had a similarly visible injury like that? Let's do show of hands. A bunch of you. You might be able to relate to the story. As a lot of you know, I, w I was a pastor before I came here, but right before we moved down here, I was managing a Chick-fil-A. Highly recommend it. It's worth it just for the free food and the, and the awesome people and, and the free food. Did I mention the free food? Um, but, and if church weren't my real calling and passion, I would, I would still be there today. It, it is a great place to work for. Um, but there was this high school kid that worked for us and he broke his arm playing football. The only thing he was allowed to do at that point work-wise is run the register. And that means he's gonna interact with all of the customers. And unfortunately for him, because his arm is in a cast and a sling, every single last customer that came up to his register asked him some variation of the question, how'd you break your arm? And 200 times a day, he would have to explain how he was playing football and got tackled and landed wrong and over the court, like he learned that week that he had to condense that down to like four words. I was really impressed. He was like, football, tackled, landed wrong. How may I help you? Just to move on with the conversation. It, 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 was, it was pretty cool. But for this blind man, the exact opposite's true. He started out blind, but Jesus healed him so that God would be glorified through it. And if you're this man who's been handicapped your entire life and Jesus comes and heals you, wouldn't you spend the rest of your natural life following him, serving him, telling other people about him, praising him? I mean, people are gonna get so sick of hearing you talk about this Jesus guy that they're just gonna start following Jesus just to get you to stop talking about it, right? But here's the thing though, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been healed in the exact same way this blind man was healed. You've been brought from a place from spiritual blindness to a place of spiritual sight. Jesus says it this way, John 12, 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. People don't have to walk around spiritually blind because Jesus is the light of the world. He's opened our eyes, forgiven our sins, canceled our debt. We're free from the penalty of sin. We get to have a relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. Church, this is great news. And the reason Christ died for your sins and my sins wasn't just so we could go to heaven one day and spend eternity with him. No, it's, it's the same reason that he healed the blind man. So that through us, through our lives, through our faith in Jesus, God would be glorified. My question this morning for you is, do you believe that? Does your life reflect that? Or is Christianity little more than a label that we wear on Sunday mornings? Because Jesus didn't come into the world and redeem humanity so you and I can play Christian for an hour a week. This should consume every single aspect of our lives. So using the example of this man that Jesus healed, what does that look like? It looks like the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And notice what Jesus doesn't say there. He didn't say, therefore send your pastor. He doesn't say, therefore wait on a better Christian to go and do it. He doesn't say, therefore, pray, and fingers crossed, people will come to you. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we need to see every interaction we have with other people the way Jesus did, as an opportunity for God to be glorified. Blind man, because of his miraculous healing, he's presented with an opportunity to do that right away. And I'm convinced that you and I are presented with opportunities daily to go and share the gospel with lost, spiritually blind people. 
Telling people about our Savior shouldn't be a burden. It's a privilege and sacred responsibility we get to share in. Uh, Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. The blind man had his hope in Jesus because of what Jesus did for him. Do we? Because that verse makes it sound like we should always be seeking out and anticipating opportunities to talk about Jesus. Do we have that kind of hope in Jesus? Now, it would be great if the Pharisees had listened to more of what the blind man had to say before they kicked him out, because this man had a genuine faith and a God-given wisdom. But the problem that the Pharisees had is that they were spiritually blind. And I love the contrast here between a man who was blind and now he sees uh, to a group of very religious people who were so spiritually blind that they didn't recognize their own Messiah when he was standing right in front of their face. So you say, what is spiritual blindness? Well, the Bible makes it clear in places like Ephesians 2.1 that apart from Christ, we are dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible also says that part of the fallout of being spiritually dead is that we are spiritually blind to the presence of God, to the reality of God, and to the truth of God's word. Ephesians 4.18 describes it this way. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And I like how the King James Version words it better. It says that it's in them due to the blindness of their hearts. And that's what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says it another way. It says the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Church, every human being that is outside of Jesus Christ is in this condition of spiritual blindness. That is why in John 9, those Pharisees couldn't see who Jesus was. This is why your unbelieving family can't see it no matter how many times you plead with them. This is why your unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and friends at school can't see it because they're spiritually blind. And this is why you couldn't see it before you came to Christ, because you were spiritually blind. You say, but Aaron, I, I love these people. I care about these people. I want these people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I want them to be connected to a faith community like this. How can we stop somebody from being spiritually blind? Now let's notice the tactics that the blind man uses in this passage. First, he appeals to human logic, right? Um, he makes it sound so simple. Uh, he says, John 31, the blind man says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to worshipers of God who do his will. If this man weren't from God, how could he have healed me? Um, I would say that's a pretty rational argument, right? God's not gonna use a sinner who's far from him to heal somebody so that God can be glorified. No, he's gonna use the person that wants to glorify God, amen? But all of the human logic in the world didn't work on the Pharisees. They rejected him. Yet today, we're still quick to try the same approach. But, and hear me on this, there is a place for trying to convince people that following Christ is reasonable and logical. But especially in our current social media era, era um, we're, we've so convinced ourselves that if we endlessly argue our point, eventually everyone's gonna listen and or just agree with us. Uh, that's not the case. People are spiritually blind. Their problem isn't a lack of logical information. Their problem is spiritual blindness. Now, when we become Christians, our lives radically change, right? Right? 
Hopefully we're a completely different person now than we were before we knew Jesus. We live differently, we act differently, we think differently, and hopefully that difference is we're becoming more Christ-like. Uh, the blind man tried this on the Pharisees too, this evidence of a changed life. It's pretty powerful evidence. John 9:25. he says he was blind, but now he sees. Uh, in case you're wondering, yes, that is the inspiration behind that line in the hymn Amazing Grace, and that's because it's powerful stuff. And when I think about that, I think about Disney World. You guys are in for another Disney story. I, I know I did one last time, but we just went there again this past weekend. I think, I, I think we go there before I preach just so God gives me something to use. Either that or he's testing my patience. I don't... I don't know. What do you see when you see a commercial for Disney World? Smiles, a castle, happy families, smiling children, bright happy faces. You don't see a hundred degree heat. You don't see lines everywhere. You don't see me fighting with my son to get him in the stroller because he insists on walking all day long but not holding anybody's hand because he's independent now. He's ready to move out of the house because he's almost two. You don't see people like me taking out a second mortgage to pay for lunch. <sighs> I don't know if you've been lately, it's expensive, everything. Like I might as well just hand them my wallet when I get there and say, I'll, maybe I'll see this later, maybe I won't. You guys can keep it, you might as well just keep it because I'm gonna give it all to you anyway. Because <laughs> if you saw that in a commercial, you wouldn't go to Disney World. Why do I keep going to Disney World? <sighs> but Disney works hard to convince you that's not the case. They work hard to convince you it's a magical place full of smiling, happy families, happy moments. And I guess for the 10 seconds my son let me hold him yet, or two days ago, it was worth it. Sort of. There's lines to get in lines, and that's not, I hate that concept. <sighs> but enough of me ranting about Disney. The Pharisees had the same problem. This Disney commercials don't work on me. The evidence of a changed life right in front of them didn't work on the Pharisees because this blind guy's standing right in front of him. He's got a powerful story. He's got compelling evidence because he's healed. He tells them Jesus changed his whole life. He's now a radically different person because of this encounter he has with Jesus. And there's all kinds of great testimonies like this. You, th you think about the Apostle Paul. Um, he goes from killing Christians to being one of the closest followers of Jesus ever. We owe, we owe Christianity today in large part to his missionary journeys, his radical devotion to Jesus. But even his powerful testimony didn't convince everybody that they need to follow Jesus. And I so often think that with our unbelieving friends and family, we're, we're convinced that this is what's gonna work. Um, we tell them how much Jesus has changed our life. We, we hope that when they see us living out our faith authentically and in a real way right in front of them, that they'll get it and they'll become believers just by our example. But even a radically transformed life will not break spiritual blindness in and of itself. Now, before we move on, I wanna be clear, as followers of Christ, we do need to be quick to tell people about Jesus, explain to them why we follow him, um, explain to him why our lives, uh, values, and beliefs are different than the rest of the world's. We need to be quick to tell people how Jesus radically transformed us. In fact, Jesus commands us to do these things in the Great Commission, but these things in and of themselves are not the solution. 
the only thing that can break through spiritual blindness is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, John 16, 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he, uh, it's not human logic, not your changed life, not any other evidence, but the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. How? By breaking through people's spiritual blindness and convicting them of their sin before God and convincing them that Jesus is who he says he is and bringing them to their knees at the foot of the cross. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's ultimately him alone that can do it. Which brings us to our final question this morning, and that's this. If the Holy Spirit is the one who can stop someone from being spiritually blind, then what can we do in the life of a spiritually blind person that we love and care about? And, and the answer is this, we do it in prayer. We pray that God will shatter their spiritual blindness. Prayer that God will illuminate what Ephesians 4 called their darkened understanding. And the Holy Spirit can certainly use tools like our testimony, but the hard work of softening hearts and breaking spiritual blindness is done first and foremost through prayer. In fact, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus today, I can promise you that there was somebody somewhere who loved you very much. Maybe it was a mom, a dad, a grandparent, brother, sister, neighbor, friend, but there was somebody somewhere who prayed for the Holy Spirit to move in you and open your eyes so that you would no longer be spiritually blind. Now, they probably didn't pray it exactly like that, but you get the idea. I don't believe that anybody anywhere ever gets saved without somebody somewhere praying for them. So bottom line, our testimony is important. We need to go out and personally tell people how Jesus radically transformed our lives. Uh, we need to present people with evidence that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Uh, but all of the stuff we can present to people pales in comparison to what the Holy Spirit can do in their lives. And it's through prayer that God moves, spiritual blindness is shattered. Now, unbelieving people aren't stubborn. Well, some of them are stubborn. But more than that, they're spiritually blind. They're walking around in darkness. It's our job as the church to go out and intentionally and boldly, like the blind man did, and point people to the light of the world. So do we love people around us enough to individually and personally go out and tell them about Jesus? Yes. And do we love them enough to commit to praying for them every day? Because following Jesus this way will take a radical commitment that goes far beyond an hour on Sunday. It will consume our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for instructing us today from your word. Uh, we thank you and we praise you that as your followers, we don't have to walk in spiritual blindness. We praise you because you are the light of the world. But Lord, there are a lot of friends and family and people we love and care about that are far from you, that are lost, that are imprisoned in the spiritual blindness. We pray, Lord, that as a result of our contact with your word today, that you would change our approach to these people. Make us first and foremost bold prayer warriors to them. Give us the boldness and strength to trust in the Holy Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. And Lord, I pray that you would soften the hearts of all of the lost people and help us to see our loved ones in the, that we think are the least likely to come to Christ. Help us to see them come to a saving relationship with you because of the movement of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Lord, help us to be a part of that by reminding us to hold them up in prayer each and every day. God, change the way we do evangelism and the way we approach our friends because we know we can't just leave this to somebody else. But you told us to go into all the world and proclaim your gospel to all creation. Give us the boldness and strength to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.